course, Paul's epistle to the Romans is certainly one of the more popular books in church history. It deals with a lot of theology, the depths of the riches of God's grace. It begins by speaking to us about Israel's sin and mankind's sin and the need for that to be dealt with in the sense that none of us have an excuse when we stand before the Lord. So sins are dealt with in the plural. By the time we get to chapter 4, the Lord is talking to us about Abraham so that we understand that Abraham trusted God and we're the fruit of his faith and we're justified by faith as Abraham was. He simply believed. Because he believed, God gave him a new beginning. And that trust is essentially what happened to each one of us when we became born again. We stepped out of sin and came into righteousness. We walked away from darkness and came into light. We moved away from bondage and came over into liberty. But we learn quickly by the time we reach chapter 7 that even though we're Christian and that old man is dead, we're crucified with Christ, there's an inward battle, a daily struggle in the Christian between the new man and the old man. And what is the old man? The old man is called the flesh, the old customs, old habits. Whatever you were before you became a Christian, once you became a Christian, that old man is still inside of you. Scripture says we are to reckon or essentially assume that we are dead in Christ, believe that we're dead in Christ. That old man is on the cross. However, there are circumstances that arise in our lives, tests, trials, temptations, that provoke that old man to come back to the front. And when he is on exhibition, it leads to a lot of frustration, and I believe that is one reason many Christians live with a lot of self-condemnation, because that old man is constantly reminding them of their sins of the past and reminding them of what they've done since they've been a Christian when they failed. Well, this, this thing was so bad that Paul even tells us in chapter 7 that when I wanted to do good, in verse 19 and 20, I found that evil was present. Did everything I could to avoid what was bad, but it just seemed like it kept coming right back again. So he said, I find there's something at work in me that is uncontrollable. And even though I delight after the law of God in my new man, my new nature, in my mind, with my heart, my soul, my strength, I still find that the spirit lusteth against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. And that's why he says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There are people who struggle every day with a lot of different weaknesses. And they say, how am I ever going to get over this? And it becomes a pattern. It's a cycle. You believe you're free, you fall again. You believe you're free, you fall again. And this is the anxiety that Paul is dealing with at the end of Romans 7, but we should praise the Lord that he did not end the epistle with chapter 7. That's chapter 8. And he makes it very plain that if you are in Christ, 
If your sins have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been justified by faith, if you've accepted Christ as your all in all so that he suffered the penalty of death, you've received pardon. He makes it very plain that on the basis of your relationship with him and your position in him, there is no condemnation towards you. There's no verdict of guilty. There's no sentence of death. You've been pardoned. Now that's a powerful thing. Pardon is something everyone desires when they find themselves before a court and there's a mountain of evidence stacked against them. You've got to understand that when we accepted the Lord, it's not that we weren't deserving of judgment. It's not that we weren't deserving of hell. It's not that there wasn't a mountain of evidence against us. It's very simply that that evidence was set aside by the grace and mercy and loving kindness of the Lord so that essentially we've been acquitted. The charges have been dropped. The power of that law was mitigated by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no condemnation against you as a believer, even though the devil whispers in your ear 24 hours a day, you're always going to be that person you were. You're never going to find the victory. You're never going to get beyond who you were. You're always going to trip and fall. The scripture says for the person that walks with the Lord after the spirit, there's no condemnation to them. The key being in Christ. It doesn't say being in church, nor does it say being religious, being spiritual or being a seeker. It says being in Christ, being inside of him produces for you something that is absolutely lovely. You've been accepted into the beloved. Now, what is the difference between condemnation and the freedom that comes with being guiltless? Well, condemnation means there's a verdict hanging over your head. That's what that means. It means that at some point there is going to be an issuance of the death penalty or some kind of penalty against you. But with the Lord, the scripture makes it very plain that now that we are in Christ, that's been set aside because Jesus received in his body what should have rightfully come to each one of us. There was hostility between us and God. Even if you don't believe that you had your fists up in God's face and God, I'm angry with you. God, I'm upset with you. You say, well, I, I didn't really care about religion one way or another. Well, your indifference to God, the Lord took that as a hostile act and a defiant attitude. The fact that you were indifferent, that still created animosity and tension between you and God. But in Christ, the, the peace treaty was signed in the blood of his son and now he's given you the ability to walk not according to the lusts and appetites of the flesh, but he's given you power and freedom to walk in the spirit. So where before I had no choice in my old man, I had no choice but to sin. Now in Christ, I am free not to sin. So here's what the scripture says in another way. To every man is given a way of escape. No temptation has come to you, but such as is common to everybody. But with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. That is to say, no one can say to the Lord, Father, I love you. I'm a Christian. But why have you made me like this where I don't have the ability to say no? 
to the appetites of the flesh. Then God looks at you and he says, not only do you have the ability to say no to the appetites of the flesh, you also have the ability in the midst of that to say yes to obeying me. Freedom and liberty. Scripture says, let us not allow the members of our body to be used as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield to God. There's no condemnation to those in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But there is a problem here, though. It is possible to be in Christ and walk after the flesh. It's possible to be a Christian and be carnal and be governed by the belly, which becomes your God. To be governed by a mind that's carnal. So what you think about pretty soon governs and manipulates your actions. Scripture says the carnal mind is at odds with God. It'll never be subject to God. It's impossible for it to be tamed. The only thing you can do, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Or as Paul says in another place, be transformed in your mind. How do I do that? Apply the word. Take the word, meditate on the word, get the word of God inside of you real strong. Let it dwell richly in your heart in all wisdom. Take the word, meditate on it, confess it, believe it, stand on it. Let this thing saturate your mind. That's what you do. And that will keep us from easily walking after the flesh. None of us are perfect. There's not a one of us in here that hadn't had Moments where that old man sticks his head up and he's like, hey, hey, what's going on around here? Somebody want to fight? Yeah, there's always something that uh, a circumstance that the devil will create to try to provoke you into pulling that old man off of Calvary's cross so that he can manifest again. Let somebody step on one of your bunions. You may not be smiling. Yeah. Let someone grab one of the little kids as you're walking through the mall. Flesh come alive quick. Let someone stand in your face and cuss at you. Say vulgar things to you to the point where you're, you're offended by what they're saying. You'll find out just like I know that that old man is still in there. So what we have to do then is when we find ourselves in a position where we have yielded, and you just felt like you had to give somebody a piece of your mind and then you let all of your mind slip out and you told somebody what you were thinking. It's at that point that you come back to the Lord and you ask God to forgive you because at the point where you begin to yield to the flesh, I can tell you right now, for, for a few fleeting moments, you're going to feel good. Yeah, just that opportunity. Oh, my goodness, I'm telling you. Tina made me mad one time, and I mean, I just wanted to let her have it. And then just, I mean, for seven seconds, can you imagine if I just let it all come out and I just give it to her good? And I'm like, whoo, ha, ah, feel good. And then you know what happens a little bit later? Just like when David cut off a piece of Saul's skirt, his heart smote him. So you might feel good for a moment. But if you've got a tender heart and spirit like Anna had as a tiny person, like Ava has, then pretty soon you just start crying just because you think you've grieved somebody. 
And that's a good kind of a spirit to have because there are some of us don't have that spirit. We just look at people and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you all upset? Scripture says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So in Christ then there's something else at work that gives us the ability to walk after the spirit. And that's in verse 2. It's called the law of the spirit of life. There's a legal principle. There is a precept that absolutely ensures that you have been liberated from sin and death. And it only works in Christ. It doesn't work for sinners. It's not available for people who say they're on the path seeking God. As long as you're seeking, you're still lost. But it's available for people that are in Christ. The moment I step into the kingdom of God, this is applied to my life and the kingdom has an entirely new set of principles. Scripture says it's not about meat and it's not about drink, but it's about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The law of the spirit of life. So there are two things connected with that. Number one, there's the legal aspect. Number two, there's the life. Most people don't connect law and life in Christ. When we think of life, we, well, excuse me, when we think of law, we tend to think of some of the things that Paul has said in the previous chapters, where it seems like the law is something that is terribly bad. Well, let's not forget, as Christians, there is still a principle of law that we function by, and it's called love. Because Paul said in chapter 13 of this book, he says that we ourselves should not commit adultery, covet, steal, and lie. And he says, walking in love comprehendeth the fulfillment of all of the law. And then he goes on to say, love worketh no ill to one's neighbor. The law of the spirit of life. There is a principle of life that is in you that comes from everlasting life and eternal life so that there's a fountain in you bubbling up. That means that when we lay down this mortal frame, that one day when we pass from this world and they lay us in the ground, we still are not dead. We've given up the ghost. We've received a new body. When by the time we have the funeral and the preacher has to stand up over someone and talk to the about the Lord, the decedent has either gone upwards to heaven or downwards to a place that's not so nice. Understand that. So everything conceived has an eternity. Every human. There's never been a human conceived that did not have an eternity marked out for it in its future. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. This is why there's no condemnation for me. I'm free from condemnation. Well, pastor, in the years past, I did this and I hurt a lot of people. There is no condemnation to you when you're in Christ Jesus. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I, I did so many bad things in my life, embezzled funds, spent time in jail, are you Christian now? Well, yeah. There is therefore no condemnation to you. But it doesn't matter. I still feel that I'm a bad person and all of this is just hanging over my head. In fact, even though I'm saved, I'm still 
paying for some of the consequences of the sins of my old man. You still are no longer condemned. That's the key. The man or woman that can't handle that is going to allow the devil to weigh them down in such frustration and condemnation that they won't want to pray. Many believers stop reading the Bible, stop going to church, stop fellowshipping with the saints, refuse to listen to gospel music because they have struggled so much with how bad they feel. But you're free. That's the answer. You're free. It's like someone taking you down to the jail and imprisoning, imprisoning you for a little while. And then after a while, somebody comes and stands outside the jail. So I just want to let you know all the charges have been dropped. You're free to go. And everything's paid for. No fines, no dues that you have to take care of. Then you stick the key in the door. You open it up. Come on out. But rather than coming out, you sit there. You become so adjusted, or as we say of some people, institutionalized. Where you've just learned to live with the fact that you were condemned at one point when you stood before the judge. And there are many Christians like that. I wonder sometimes if they enjoy living with condemnation, if they enjoy the bondage, if they enjoy the self-pity aspect, if they enjoy seeking sympathy, sympathy, they, sympathy. They say, look at me. I'm in prison. I know you keep telling me that I'm out, but I'm still in here. I feel that I'm in here. Everything in my life is going wrong. How am I ever supposed to get out the same way everybody else gets out? By faith. The law of the spirit of life says to me, Daryl, you're free. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to carry that bondage anymore, Daryl, just because the first time you went to jail, you were eight years old. You don't, have to, you don't have to feel bad about that anymore. So I don't feel bad about it anymore. And you shouldn't feel bad about what's back there in the past either. Condemnation will destroy a vibrant Christian life because attached to condemnation is the law of sin and death. This is why we have to have an antidote, something to counteract that. And that's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. If, if, you, if you get some bleach or something, some kind of an agent that's not good, and you get it all in your eyes, you know, you'll see on some of these detergents, they'll say, rinse your eyes out with water. Well, the reason they say do that is because you need some kind of an agent to counteract that burning feeling that you have in your eyes. And that is what the, the law of the spirit of life is supposed to do. In the kingdom of God, when we understand it, it fights against and it wards off that law of sin and death. That tells me every single day of my life, you're worthless. You're not going anywhere. And the only thing you can do is expect more death. Now, verse 3 says the law was weak. This is what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. Of course it was. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus came into this world looking like us, acting like us, talking like us, born like us, eating like us, drinking, sleeping, laughing like us. Then he climbed up on the cross and he gave up the ghost and he died like us. And scripture says that when he died, he spoiled the powers and principalities and the 
the law, the ordinances of that law, the ordinances of that law which was weak through the flesh, Jesus had it nailed to the cross with him. So that means as a Christian now, I must believe that if that law was too weak to afford me benefits and blessings, that the law of the spirit of life is strong enough to bring the liberty and freedom that I'm supposed to have as a Christian. Dr. A.B. Simpson for many years was a great, great minister. <clears throat> and a hundred years ago, around the turn of the century or so, he, he wrote a number of books, good books. But he tells one story about how he was praying, and in the prayer, he had a vision. In the vision, he saw a cross. On the cross, he saw our Savior hanging there on the cross, bleeding, broken, and dead. And A.B. Simpson said he looked at that, and he said he just started to weep in that vision as he saw his Savior hanging on the cross. He said he heard a voice that said, A.B., go around to the other side. A.B. said he walked around to the back side of the cross and looked up there. And on the back side of the cross, there hung A.B. Simpson himself on that cross. And he understood finally what it means when the scripture says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And not I, but Christ that liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You must begin to see yourself as a crucified man or woman in order for that law of the spirit of life to be able to raise you up and quicken your body in the same way the spirit of power raised up Jesus from the dead. Not just from the grave, but out of death, out of situations that, that rob you of life, that rob you of vibrancy and vitality. The same spirit of God raises you up. That's what he does. Old Testament law couldn't do that for you. And if the Old Testament law was able to do that, Hebrews tells us, as we have learned so very clearly, if there, if there was no fault with the former law, there would not have been a need for a new law. New Testament. So even if you can't understand or describe all of the deficiencies and all of the inadequacies of the Old Testament law, just know this, it wasn't good enough. That's all you need to know. It wasn't good enough. That's why Christ came. And you may not be able to explain it. You may not be able to see it the way some people do. But the scripture does say in verse 4, that the coming of Jesus was so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there is one thing that's contingent upon another thing. Your walk in the Spirit has everything to do with how the righteousness of God is going to be fulfilled every day in your life. Now this I do know. When we became Christians, the Lord put his seal upon us. We became his. We were marked as his. The scripture says, I know those that belong to me. That's what God says. The rancher who takes a, a cattle prod and brands each of his herd. 
once he puts that hot poker on the, the, the flesh of that, of that cow or whatever it is that he's branding, I'm telling you, there's not going to be any more hair that grows in that area. That brand is there. And somehow Ephesians 1 says that the Lord has sealed us with the Spirit, branded us. So God knows spiritually who belongs to him. We walk around here every day and we meet people who go to church all the time and they tell us they're Christians. They tell us they love the Lord. They tell us they're, they're in the faith and they're in the kingdom. But I'm telling you, God knows who really belongs to him and God knows who just goes to church. It's just like the, the rancher who has someone else's cattle who somehow getting mixed up in his herd and then he recognized that's not my brand. That's the brand of the folks two miles down the road. He immediately knows. He contacts them, and God is the same way. God can look and see when the sheep and the goats are mixed together. He can see when the wheat and the tares are mixed together, and when the tares and the regular grass are growing up together, I give you my word, they look the same. The first three or four inches coming up out of that ground. But you give it time. Then you can mark it out. You say, that's a, that's a weed. That's a weed. That's bluegrass. That's a weed. So as a Christian then, if I want my life to be marked by the righteousness of the word of God and the righteousness of Christ, then I need to follow the principles of Scripture so that I walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. I don't want my life transformed into that of a tear. I want to be godly. I want it fulfilled in me who walk not after the flesh. Now, what does that mean in more practical terms? That is to say, what does this look like every day in my life, to not walk after the flesh? Well, you've got to get some kind of handle on what it is in your life that certainly reflects and represents carnality. Once you get a handle on what that is, then you don't pursue that. You walk in another path. That's how you do it. You, de you determine what that is. Carnality, according to Romans chapter 8, has everything to do with death. You can see it in verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. The person who's carnally minded, they are always interested in and involved in those things that bring about some kind of spiritual death. It destroys Christian creativity. It dest destroys Christian appetites. It destroys anything in you that gives you a hunger for spiritual things. But here the scripture also says the spiritual minded person has life and peace. So the law of the spirit of life is at work in a spiritually minded person. Jesus said his words are spirit and they are life. So I must spend my time reading the scripture in order to put my mind where it needs to be. If I don't, how can I see? How can I discern? How can I differentiate between what's right and what's wrong? If you don't do this, then you'll be like so many other people who say things like this. I don't see anything wrong with it. You should be able to see what's wrong with it, and you should be able to see what's right with it. If it's wrong here and it's right there, then here's the path of life. 
But if it's wrong here and it's right there, then here's the path of life. Where do you want your feet to go? Verse 5 says, they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. Very interesting. The one law that we are all aware of from the first few chapters of Genesis, it's that seed reproduces its own kind. Flesh cannot manifest anything but flesh. I mean, look, we, 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 we talk about Hollywood productions all the time, and, you know, we, we, we're bothered by, we're frustrated by, we're angered by the things that they do on television, whether it's a commercial or the insertion of some just, just terribly obscene uh, plot line or storyline that they put in episodes and shows like that. But the bottom line is this. They mind those things or think of those things and are constantly drawn to those things that are in their heart. The carnal, so all they care about the carnal thing. That, that, that's what it is. Why, why, why do these productions surprise us? When I'm traveling and I'm in the airport and I go up to the, into the bookstores when I have a little time between flights and I'm standing there looking at what's on the shelves and I'm saying these are the top ten bestsellers. Or I'm looking over here at the, the fiction books. Or over here at nonfiction books. And then over here at the inspirational books. If you look at what people are writing about. Read the blurbs on the back of the cover. Sometimes you ask yourself, how in the world does any mind come up with a storyline like that? Be carnally minded as death. Those that are after the flesh mind the things that are of the flesh. But they that are of the spirit, things that are of the spirit. What do you think about? What do you want to do? See, if you, if you sit here tonight as I'm teaching this lesson, and you'd rather be at the bar getting drunk, See, even though you're not there, you're still there. It's still carnality. It still leads to death. This is why Jesus was able to say to the people, if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. He didn't say if you get in bed with her. He said just the thought. Death is in the thought. That's what he's trying to teach us. If death is in the wrong kind of thought, then I have to assume life is in the right kind of a thought. Now this is where the discipline of the Christian life begins to take a toll on some people because you can't follow me around all day long and I can't follow you around all night long. We can't stop the birds that fly over our head every single day when we're outside walking. But I can guarantee you one thing, there won't be a bird that builds a nest in your head unless you stand there and let it occur. Same thing as a Christian. When it comes to the thoughts of the flesh and the thoughts the adversary brings, it cannot build a nest in your mind and entrench itself and become a stronghold unless you give place to it. But if you have given place to it and you've got a stronghold in your mind, you know what you have to do? You've got to lay seeds to it. 
Besiege it. You said, how do I do it? Attack it with the word of God. Attack it with the right thinking. Attack it with scripture. Begin to meditate on the word of God. Meditate on it as you're going to bed. Meditate on it when you wake up in the morning. Have scriptures that are just constantly flooding your mind. No two thoughts can occupy the same place at the same time. It's a battle. And you'll find that you just you fight that way, and then pretty soon that stronghold is getting smaller and smaller because you're removing one brick, you're removing one stone, and then pretty soon there's a little bit of liberty that comes in your mind, and it's like, wow, man, that, that feels good. And I just, I'm enjoying being a Christian. In medieval times, because people didn't have the medical know-how we have today, you know, if, if a person had what they thought was a mental problem, sometimes they have them lay down, and you probably heard of those folks that would come and they would do the bloodletting. Somebody's going to come, poke a hole in the side of your head, and they thought if they just let a little bit of that blood come out, maybe that will fix your mind or fix whatever your problem was, alleviate the pressure, whatever in the world's going on, but it, it rarely did anything. It just speeded up the person's death. They didn't know. They thought it was right. But God already had this thing planned out when he saw that when it comes to that mind, there's a law of the spirit of life. If we turn it loose in that head, it brings freedom. It sets you free from sin and death. There is a way for deliverance to come. But that mind has to be dealt with, and that believer has to be disciplined. Nobody's going to do this for you or for me. Let's stand. I'll tell you one thing it is interesting to know that the scripture says. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty, useful for pulling down strongholds. How are you going to fight that battle later on tonight? The devil's coming to you with all kinds of tempting thoughts. How are you going to fight? Don't let him build a stronghold. If he's got a stronghold, begin to attack it. Fight back. Fight back. Throughout the week, take the word of God and meditate on it. Let God deal with your heart. Pray. Seek the face of the king, and, and you'll find that victory will be there. But don't just lay there and let the devil walk by and kick sand in your face, because I can promise you he'll keep kicking it. Yeah. But throw some back at him for a change. <laughs> I'm a bit tired of you just taking advantage of me, because I am, after all, a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside, so that all of us may look flabby physically, but you're, you're a warrior on the inside. Yeah. Strong. Harder than woodpecker lips. Strong, folks. My God. My God. Come on, let's lift our hands toward God. Father, we thank you for liberty. We thank you for deliverance. We thank you for rescue, for wonderful redemption. When you look into our minds tonight, God, wherever there's a stronghold, we believe for deliverance right now. But Father, fear has no power over us. The appetites of the flesh, O oh God, 
have no dominion over us because you said that we should not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. So we thank you right now for the law of the spirit of life at work in us. God, we believe we were made free by the death of your son and we reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto your son, Jesus. So, Father, thank you that we're alive. We thank you that we're liberated. We thank you that we've been raised up. We're resurrected out of our circumstances. And we praise you right now, Lord, for your life. Just growing and developing in that mind, oh God. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for peace. You said you'd give your beloved sleep, oh God. So God, we honor you and we thank you. The matchless, matchless name of Jesus. Amen, 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 